When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Care about America, no matter where you come down on the political spectrum. The next four days are going to effectively decide if we as a country get a choice other than Trump and Biden. 75% of Americans want somebody else. This is the best chance America has in New Hampshire for someone else to have a chance. And it's a very different picture here than what we saw a week ago tonight heading into Iowa. The polling average from our partners at DDHQ shows former President Trump leading by 10 percentage points. And there is reason to think that Nikki Haley has the momentum. Mr. Trump is expected to speak at any moment, along with South Carolina Carolina Senator Tim Scott, who is going to endorse him. Scott is going to endorse Donald Trump today. We heard from Scott as he headed out with the former president. Kelly Meyer is covering the event. She joins us live from Concord. Good evening, Kelly. Hey there, Leland. Well, as you were talking about that, it's hard to believe that there is another option, you know, besides Trump, as you see this crowd that is out of his rally here tonight, wrapping around, looping around this parking lot. There are about four or 500 people waiting out here, and they're going to start heading in here shortly. We're still seeing cars coming in. Uh, But, you know, it really seems like this Trump effect is really just as strong as ever. Take a listen to this. We need to keep America first. I think that that's gotten so lost, and Donald Trump's the only one that can do it. He's actually done something that has never been done before, and that's take care of the American people. I believe he's the real-life Tony Stark, and we should just call him President Iron Man. This MAGA machine you're seeing an example of here tonight, Leland, and I've been asking folks as we've we've been out on the trail, is his support stronger than what we saw back in 2016 when I was covering him then to now 2024? And they say it's only growing stronger and stronger, and you're seeing that result here tonight. This is bigger than anything I think we saw out in Iowa there, Leland. Yeah, certainly anything we saw in Iowa, not the major, major 10,000-person rallies that we've seen from President Trump in the past. We understand one of those is coming up. Uh, tomorrow. Kelly, thank you. One of the major knocks on Nikki Haley, one of the major criticisms about her campaign, and certainly if she ends up losing, one of the things that people will talk about that she could have done better is that she hasn't gone far enough in criticizing her former boss. Donald Trump took aim at her today, saying Nimbra, evidently a take on Haley's birth name, saying she's weak on China, Russia, borders, and crime that she doesn't have what it takes. Lenny just said we got to beat Trump. You said earlier today, I think it was the first time I've heard this, we got to move on because of Trump, Trump lies too much. Why wait till four days before New Hampshire to really hit him that hard? This whole time, I've been talking about the differences between Trump policy and my policy, where I think he went wrong, where I think he went right. right. People want me to hate on Trump. I don't hate Trump. This is not personal for me. This is about policy. I voted for him twice. 
I agree with a lot of his policies. I have said, rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him, and we can't have that. Now I'm responding because he's giving lies against me. I have to defend myself. He says I'm going to cut Social Security. That's a complete lie. I've never said I'm going to do that. If he says that I don't believe in closing the border, I passed the toughest illegal immigration law in the country when I was governor. President Obama sued me over it. That's not true. You know, when he talks about the fact that the only way I'm going to win is to get a bunch of Democrats in New Hampshire to vote for me, Democrats can't vote in a primary. They haven't been able to change their registration for months. Every bit of that's a lie. And the media's not calling him out and so that's why i'm calling him out if y'all don't do your job i'm gonna all right, fair, free, fair, so. fair. well okay so now we've got uh desantis trump and haley all talking about the media in this race um let me ask you let me ask it a different way the independent voters that i talked to was just in manchester one of your supporters was saying i need to hear her hit donald trump harder to show that she's willing to take the fight to him i mean look i I recently, yesterday, I think I was on a town hall, but I said 70% of Americans don't want to see a Trump-Biden rematch. The majority of Americans have an unfavorable view of Biden and Trump. Biden and Trump, both trillions of dollars in debt that our kids are never going to forgive them for. Biden and Trump totally distracted on investigations and not focused on a vision for America because they're focused on vengeance and all of those things. What more do you want me to say? I told, okay, you, no, I told I, you he lied today. I've said all the lies that he's doing, and I've said that when he lies, it's because he feels insecure. And I know him well. He is very insecure right now, and so he's lashing out and hoping that things will stick. So I call it out like I see it. No, I don't I, sugarcoat it. I don't go out of my way to avoid it. I wait, and if the, whatever the day brings, I call it out and say the truth. You make a great point, and we see that in the polling as well. 75% of Americans want somebody different. But, Governor, you look at the data out of Iowa, historically low turnout. Yeah, Trump only got 50% of the vote, but it was historically low turnout. What are you seeing in the data in New Hampshire that says this could be different? Well, it'll be very different. New Hampshire always has a much higher voter turnout than Iowa. I mean, let's talk about Iowa. 56,000 people voted for Trump out of 3 million. Like less than less than two percent, less than two percent of Iowa is going to dictate who wins, or who's the choice of the Republican Party. I don't think so. That's not going to happen. It's a process. So Iowa gets things kicked off. A voter turnout in New Hampshire is going to be much much higher. I mean, I think the the Secretary of State has now said it could be a record turnout this year potentially, which is great. The weather is obviously going to be pretty good. Um, we're pretty tough. We kind of go through the weather anyways, but. When you see high voter turnout, it says one thing: we want change, right? That's what that means. They want change. They want something new. You know, this—he's uh, effectively running as the incumbent, if you will. He gets all the media attention, has all the name ID. But boy, when people come out in droves like this, it means they want something different. And again, New Hampshire has a great history of that. To take that momentum and that glide path, going to Nikki's home state of South Carolina, where she's pretty good at winning in South Carolina. She You've done it. You've done it. So all of a sudden, that would be a complete change in the paradigm of this election, the narrative, if you will, from both the media standpoint and what's really happening on the ground. And once the American public sees that mindset, that uh, the emperor has no clothes, so to say, um, that, that's a huge opportunity to move America forward, galvanize the party, but move America forward and win this thing. Fair, fair enough. Look, if you can have the, the, the talking point that there's been two people to beat Donald Trump, Nikki Haley and Joe Biden, that, that changes the conversation. I know you've, you've seen this. Ken Langone, the Home Depot billionaire, said, hey, I'm going to wait to put in any more money until after he sees what happens here on Tuesday. Big crowd here. There, there's reasons to be optimistic. Is the expectation that you need to win New Hampshire unfair? I mean, yes, because if you listen to what I've said from the very beginning before Iowa, and I've been very consistent, 
I wanted to be strong in Iowa. I feel like we were. We started at 2%. We ended with 20%. I'm thrilled with that. I want to be even stronger in New Hampshire. We're doing that. It's a two-person race. I want us to have a strong showing. We're going to be even stronger than that in South Carolina. To me, it's about continuing to build. It's the media that's got their expectations. Those aren't mine. Mine are make this state better than the last state. Then make the next state better than this state. That's how you go. It's all about addition and bringing people in. This is a process. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It has been for 11 months that I've yeah. been doing this. No, I, I've heard. I've heard that. I get that. But you need you need money to run this. You need money to get on the air for Super Tuesday. How do you convince voters? How do you how do you convince donors that you are still having you still have a chance to beat Donald Trump? When in a state like New Hampshire, you've got the governor, you've got his organization, you've been here for 11 months. If you can't beat him here, how do you convince your donors you can beat him other places? Well, first of all, I will tell you that you're forgetting you're talking to an accountant. So I saved a lot of money. We didn't go and spend it. I've got plenty. I've made sure we're already in the coffers for South Carolina and plenty and plenty of money for that. Every bit of this, I did it smart. You didn't see me wasting millions over the summer because it didn't matter. You saw me make sure that I was heavy on TV when I needed to be in Iowa. Now when I need to be in New Hampshire, you're going to see it in South Carolina and going forward. So donors will watch my strength. They will watch my sustainability. But more than that, donors have complimented me and have seen I am very frugal with how I spend because that's how I spend tax dollars, my dollars, or campaign dollars. And so I'll continue to do that. I'm going into South Carolina. I'm going in strong regardless. And so donors will see that, and I think they'll respond to how well I do. And and if I may understand, when there were 12 candidates in the race and whatever it was, sure, you're going to have activists, even some voters and some donors staying on the sidelines saying, gee, I wonder if they'll ever get it to a two-person race. It is. It's Trump Haley. It's one-on-one, a two-person race. Time for DeSantis to drop out. I'll never say anybody needs to drop out, but I mean, he's he's closer to zero than he is to me in New Hampshire or South Carolina. I mean, it's... It's sick. It's what is it? You say it best when you Look, say nothing at all. Nice guy. He's a friend. The whole okay. thing, and uh, you know, his campaign just didn't didn't quite get over the. Wasn't quite able to do it. I mean, let, let's just. He's leave been it, a leave good governor, yeah. but I mean, I think it is what it is. When you have to leapfrog states, it says something. Yeah. You guys talked to Chris Christie lately? Uh, not lately. I talked to him after he got out of the race, yeah. but not since discussion. Would you want his endorsement? No. 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 Why not? I don't need it. Mm-hmm. The voters. It's. I mean, the, the endorsements I want are the people in this diner. I mean, that's always been the case. I always want. I and you see, I haven't gone after a ton of legislative endorsements and those types of endorsements because at the end of the day, you don't want all of those politicians' endorsements. That's part of the problem. You actually want people who move the ball. I wanted Chris's because I knew he's as close to the people. They love him. He's got a relationship with him. That's Someone was asking if you would be vice president, right? Yeah, not not for me, but but I appreciate that. <laughs> I think it was the woman right up there, not right? I'm here to help Nikki as, as much as I can through the campaign and whatever she needs when she's president. You know, I'll I'll, I'll help her all the way. But uh, yeah. we'll end with this: the idea of independence. How you and I talked in New Hampshire. You and I talked in Iowa about the independent vote there, and there was there was a thought that you were going to get this sort of groundswell of folks who may not love everything Nikki Haley says, but wanted an alternative to Donald Trump. How do you turn those people out 
here in New Hampshire when you didn't really in a way that you needed to in Iowa? Well, the thought was what the media thought. It was never what I thought. I have always focused on making sure when I have a town hall, I don't check their party status when they walk in the door. When I come into this diner, I don't ask them how they voted before. I want every single voter's support, and I'm working hard to earn it. I've gone after conservative Republicans, moderate Republicans, independents, and yes, if, if conservative Democrats come our way over time, I want that too. Parties have forgotten what the goal is. The goal is, I don't want to just win the Republican Party. I want to grow it. I want to get as many people in as we can. That's what's wrong with America. It's why it's so divided. The goal is, how do you go and get people's trust? This is a relationship. That's what this is about. I want them to know I'm going to fight for them. I want them to know I'm going to sacrifice with them. And I want them to know, regardless of what they look like, who they are, what party they are, I'm going to work on lifting up all of them regardless. And that's what the Republican Party has done wrong. They take people, and if you're not quite like them, they're pushing you away. That's a terrible mistake. You don't win elections that way. And if you want to know why, look at 18, look at 20, look at 22, and look at all the elections that are lost. You want to know why else? Look at the fact that the poll that came out this morning, DeSantis loses to Biden by nine. Trump loses to Biden by seven. I'm the only one that beats Biden. It's not because I'm not conservative, but it's because I don't decide who's good and who's bad, who's right and who's wrong. Why? I so, look at all Americans. If I may yeah. understand that, when, when as Trump is the standard bearer of the party, young Republicans left the party. Yeah. Suburban conservative moms left the party. So it's not going after independents. It's allowing those Bringing folks. People to, they're, home. they're coming home. They, they're Republicans. They just don't want to vote for Trump because they because you know why? We lose governorships. We lose Senate races. We lose school board seats. Nikki wins up and down. When we talk to elect, about electability, it isn't just Nikki winning hands down over Biden uh, to get to the White House. She brings all these other things with her. And in a place like New Hampshire, where local control and public service is so important, that's what we want. We want to be winners again instead of that, that losing ticket. Look, I, I, the electability argument is one you can't lose because the polling speaks very clearly to it. And you're right how, how hated both Trump and Biden are together. Uh, the question would be this. Why then is the electability argument not being more persuasive? Why aren't we seeing you up five, up ten in New Hampshire? Why aren't we seeing you up in in national polls if what Republicans care about is electability? Well, national polls, that I've never paid attention to okay. that. This right. is state by state, and Fair it's enough. just yeah. all that. New Hampshire, the poll, that, I mean, you've got one poll that showed me tied at 40. You've got another poll that showed me down by 12. You, I mean... None of that matters. The poll that's going to matter is on Tuesday, and that's not being cliche. The truth is, at this point in time, it's all over the place. You don't know where it is. What I'll tell you is, you got to think internal polls are saying something, because Trump is hammering me like a drum. And at the end of the day, I get excited about that, because that means we're doing something right. That means we're gaining ground and we're gaining traction. And we know that. We have hundreds of people that show up at our rallies, and people are looking for something different. They're tired of the regular noise want to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel because Americans are tired. They're tired. They've been through a lot. And at the end of the day, they want all of this chaos to stop. And Biden and Trump have both given them the, the chaos. And I am the light that's going to take them out of it. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. With us now, managing editor of the New Hampshire Journal, Michael Graham, New Hampshire State Senator Tim Lang. When we come back, We're going to look at the specific demographics of New Hampshire. It is very different than Iowa. 
why Haley has a real shot here and how it'll change the race if she wins. Back live in New Hampshire, Nikki Haley on the stage in Manchester, finishing up her remarks there and welcoming some of her supporters up for pictures. Four days to go until the New Hampshire primary. Nikki Haley had six events across the state today, a packed schedule through Tuesday, along with her, I think you'd say, chief supporter, Governor Sununu here of New Hampshire. Donald Trump has added events Uh, and continues to add them, continues to bring in big-name surrogates, which I think shows at least a little bit, uh, maybe not fear, but the the, the Trump team is starting to pay attention with us now uh, to react to the Nike Haley interview and more. Managing editor right now of the New Hampshire Journal with us, Michael Graham, New Hampshire State Senator Tim Lang. Gentlemen, it is good to see both of you. Thank you. Uh, All right, fair enough, Michael, that Team Trump, has reasons to be concerned? Uh, I would say that uh, there's a chance, there's a real chance for Nikki Haley to actually win. I would say the odds are are low, but, you know, look at Donald Trump. Remember the infamous 2016 election where uh, uh, the statistician said there's a one in three chance, things that happen, one in three chance, three happen all the time. Uh, What I think the number to look at for New Hampshire is turnout, and the magic number is 300,000. The Secretary of State today predicted 322,000. If it's below 300,000, I think Trump wins. I think he wins by 10. Makes it really tough to make arguments after he's won two states. Excuse me. He wins above 50%. Hard to make an argument. If it's between 300 and 330, I think you've got a race there where, you know, he might come out on top, but it's interesting. If the turnout turns up, as some of the Haley supporters tell me they're looking for, thanks to the help of Americans for Prosperity, which has really been out working the streets in New Hampshire, if they can get there non-affiliated voters, unaffiliated as we call them, up to three, net, net up to 350, they think they really have a chance to pull up, pull off an upset. So I've talked to some smart people who say not likely, but definitely a possibility. Tim, we've seen this in other states, and the, the line, right, is, is that Trump voters will walk over glass for him, and we've seen that, right? I saw that out in, out in Iowa where it was negative 30 degrees, and low turnout, Trump gets more than 50%, just the way it is. Are New Hampshire voters different in that this is a primary, you can vote all day? Is there more of a willingness to, to go out and to vote, even if it's not for Donald Trump? Well, absolutely. New Hampshire has the highest count of undeclared voters in, this, in, in the nation. I think we have 39% of the voters in New Hampshire have decided they're not party-specific. And so in New Hampshire, those undeclared voters get to walk into the ballot uh, location and pick a red ballot or a blue ballot. Uh, they have a choice of either one. I think a high turnout, especially an undeclared, really goes towards Nikki, I think. Yeah, Michael, I think about important issues to New Hampshire voters. Economy, housing, affordability, that goes into economy inflation, threats to democracy, immigration, health care, education, abortion access. This is also the least churched state. And by that, um, in plain English, not many people go to church here in terms of you know, high evangelical right. turnout. That was something that was a, a Trump demographic. I asked Nikki Haley this in the interview, which is, if you can't win here, where you've got Governor Sununu, you have his political organization, you've been here for, living here for 11 months, you've got all the media focus, can she win anywhere? 
Well, I'm going to stick with New Hampshire, if you don't mind, because let the other states take care of themselves. The New Hampshire Journal, we focus on New Hampshire. It's rare yeah. we have a guy on television who doesn't want to broaden out his expertise. I, 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 I used to be dumb professionally, and now I'm trying to avoid that if I can. Uh, new, the, the thing that I think people tend to overlook, and it was true in 2016 when Trump came in and won his first win. It was true in 2020 when there was really no race. It was Bill Weld, the Massachusetts governor. And you still had 170-some thousand people turn out for that primary Republicans in New Hampshire like Donald Trump. They just like him. I mean, set aside the issues, whatever. They, they're fine with, you know, DeSantis, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley on the issues. But they like Trump. And so if this is a Republican primary, Trump is going to do great. The thing that Nikki Haley wants to do is to turn it into a Trump plus primary or a less, excuse me, a Republican plus primary or a less Republican primary. And that's the only way she can make it competitive because grassroots level up to the top of the party, you've got a lot of people who say, I don't like everything he does, and I understand why people hate him, but I just like Donald Trump. Senator, I don't know if we have the picture, the live picture of Trump's event, but yeah, it's filling up. These aren't the mass stadium rallies that he has done in the past. We saw that in Iowa as well. Uh, Yes, yes, they're big events. They're not the huge events, the huge mass rallies. He's got 11, there's 11,000 seats in the stadium he's going to tomorrow Mm -hmm. uh, at Southern New Hampshire University. Is he going to fill that up, A? And B, is there enough people who are on the other side who are anti-Trump enough independents to cancel that out? Oh, I have, well, I absolutely think he'll fill it. Okay. Uh, yes. People will be coming from all over the place to, to go. And then the rally is a rally, right? Not, I think he's doing these smaller events because he's heard the criticism, right, that he's not going to these smaller events. New Hampshire's a retail politics state. Shake your hand, right? The, if you want to get to those... Um, non-committed Republican voters and those uh, undeclared voters. You have to do the retail politics. Yeah. And I want to add something, too, that you were talking about the Democrats. I mean, is, is there, is there, you say, real quick, is there sure. people who, there's obviously the rabid Trump supporters who will right. walk over a glass. Does New Hampshire have another sector, maybe not as right. big but close, of the anti-Trump Republicans? Uh, there's absolutely a solid never-Trump you know, segment. But I think New Hampshire, which is really in some ways, you know, the joke about Joe Biden is he was the senator from the suburbs of Philadelphia, the world's largest suburb of Delaware. I actually think America's largest suburb is New Hampshire. Southern New Hampshire is this huge suburban community to cities like Boston and then a little bit to Manchester. And these suburban voters have an attitude about Trump of, I don't like it, but I'll take it. In other words, I haven't pushed him off the menu. He's not my first choice, but I'm okay with him. And this is why this argument about the war of attrition, once you get rid of Christie, once you get rid of, you know, then they're going to, no, once you got rid of them, a lot of those suburban voters were like, yeah, well, if if these are my choices, eh, I'll take Trump. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time, your expertise as well. It's nice to see you. New Hampshire's motto, the state motto, live free or die. And in our travels around the state, we found, as we have told you, rabid enthusiasm for Trump and different, happy, but yet at the same time, and I think this is important to say, meaningful support for Nikki Haley. Politics in New Hampshire is a religion, and as a politician, you've got to make a pilgrimage to the Red Arrow Diner. Uh, And this is the topic of conversation, whether it's the week before the primary or not. And you can see all the people who have visited here, everybody from Bill Clinton, Pete Buttigieg, uh, obviously, who came here last time around when he was running. Nikki Haley's here. This is Hillary Clinton, so you can think about how long ago it was. A few pictures of Donald Trump. That looks like Adam Sandler, so not exactly a political visit. But it tells you how important retail politics in this state is. The joke is is that people wake up their minds late because they wait not only to meet each candidate, 
but to spend time with each candidate. And in New Hampshire, that's possible. I'd like to see some younger people, some new blood, some people who are more in the middle. People. Wouldn't that be Nikki Haley? She's definitely hitting the younger aspect, right? New blood woman has first generation from post, right, from her parents, immigrant, which is excellent. So it definitely, she definitely hits a lot of the targets. Um, I'm not necessarily 100% sold on her. You've been voting in Republican primaries going back to the 60s. Describe this one for me. What, what's, the pri- what's the feel in New Hampshire compared to 2000 or 2008? Well, we're more liberal now. So I, I think that's why I think Nikki Haley has a chance. And uh, she promises to work with both sides of the Congress. And where Trump wants to get rid of it. Democrats all together. You guys tired of the media yet? Uh, I don't really pay much attention to you guys. You don't? All right. Well, that's probably a good idea. Uh, are you paying much attention to the primary? No. No? Are you going to vote in the primary? Uh, maybe. Maybe? If you maybe voted, who would you vote for? Probably Trump. <laughs> okay. So we got to maybe probably. What has Donald Trump captured in New Hampshire? My heart. Oh, God. Okay. Your heart? No, completely. Okay. He speaks like a regular person. He well, just, he, when, when he speaks as crazy sometimes as he sometimes sounds, he, he just, he seems more real, not political. Even though he's kind of like out there, he's, he just speaks to me. The one person we didn't hear about talking to voters at the diner is Ron DeSantis. So we came to find him. Uh, This is a media availability. He's basically ignored New Hampshire. So it's no surprise that the national media here outnumbers his supporters. Basically, he's going to explain why he's skipping New Hampshire and heading to South Carolina. Look, I'm not a political prognosticator. Here's the deal. Republican voters, we saw in Iowa, half wanted him, half didn't, roughly. The turnout was abysmal. There's terrible enthusiasm right now based off that result. We'll see what happens here. Why do you think DeSantis hasn't really caught on in New Hampshire? I think that the, I don't trust the polls, and we don't really know until we vote on uh, next week. We'll find It'd be out. a lot better if he was up in the polls, though, right? I would like that, but I also have seen polls not, not be reflective of the truth here. All right, when we come back, polling shows, and you're going to hear a lot about this from Donald Trump in a few minutes, people in New Hampshire aren't concerned about immigrants coming through their border with Canada. Yes, it exists up here. Eighty percent of them in New Hampshire believe our open southern border is an emergency. There's a new proposal in Congress that would fix that. Fixing it may hurt Donald Trump. We're going to talk about the Republicans trying to stop the fix to the border in order to give Donald Trump something to talk about come November. We'll see you on the other side. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. It does not matter who's sitting in the speaker's seat or who's got the majority. We keep doing the same stupid stuff. That's Republican Congressman Chip Roy talking about a potential deal 
on the border between Senate Democrat and Republicans, number of Republicans in the House are not happy about it at all. The deal involves about $100 billion in spending on aid for Ukraine and Israel in return for taking meaningful steps to stop illegal immigrants at the border. Certainly not all the things Republicans want, but the White House appears ready to make changes to what we've been telling you about now for a long time, which is the rules around parole. And parole for asylum seekers is driving much of the illegal immigration. Sophia Kai is here, politics reporter for Access. What I think is fascinating is how this issue is playing out, whether Republicans take this deal or not, in the presidential race in New Hampshire. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking about Iowa, landlocked state, New Hampshire, not even close to the southern border. And you have candidates and their surrogates, including J.D. Vance, who's been stumping for Trump. I was just at one of his events. J.D. Vance was railing on Republicans in Congress for working with Democrats on an immigration deal. Uh, J.D. Vance has been very outspoken about needing to secure the border. And look, Washington is about making compromises. Reasonable people can agree this does a lot to fix some of the problems at the border. It certainly doesn't go all the way. It certainly doesn't end asylum. It certainly doesn't bring back, remain in Mexico, some of the things Republican wants. Why would Republicans be against a deal, any deal, that would help secure the border? I think at this point in a presidential election... In part, it's a deal that would allow Democrats to help Ukraine. And I think, you know, the argument that Republicans are making in these early primary states is that we don't want to be about funding foreign wars. We want to be about the economy and all of these domestic issues. And so, you know, somebody like J.D. Vance, uh, like Trump, who wants to, quote unquote, drain the swamp, anything that involves working with Democrats, they would be against. Yeah, compromise is a dirty word, right? And we're seeing that play out uh, in the House in terms of... Marjorie Taylor Greene and others saying we don't want a deal because we think Trump's going to become a, become president. And then we're going to get, in their words, a better deal. Lindsey Graham, uh, uh, the hawk of hawks, responded this way. Take a listen. If you think you're going to get a better deal next time in 25, if Trump, uh, President Trump's president, Democrats will be expecting a pathway to citizenship for that. We've been talking about that, that that's sort of where this is headed, pathway of citizenship, amnesty in exchange for things. Help us understand, at some point, there's going to be an inflection point in this, especially among House Republicans. What is it? So House Republicans are saying, uh, we want more. We want more and more and more. Trump is encouraging House Republicans to continue to toe the line in terms of what they want. Uh, And Senate Republicans are saying, look, like this is as best as it will get. There's no path for citizenship uh, for dreamers. I mean, that's been something that Democrats first item on their priority list. Senate Republicans are reminding House Republicans that if you want any deal on immigration to secure the border, this is the time uh, to say yes. Now, look, it's, it's one of those it's one of those issues. Immigration has become and you cover a lot of them, that it's a lot better as a campaign issue and as a wedge issue than it is and is an issue that can be solved, even if it's solved um, imperfectly. We'll be talking about it this weekend, Sophia. Always fun. Thank you very much. It may sound like the plot to a new thriller on Netflix, but this actually is real, what's happening. Top brass at NATO is warning the world could be on the brink of all-out war with Russia. Literally. How close we are to World War III and why there's reasons to think we may not be able to prevent it.
with Russia is a real potential. Let's just take a quick tour of the world if it's not between us and Russia. Russia and Ukraine continue their war. Hamas and Israel are still fighting. Hezbollah to Israel's north threatens to make things more exciting. The Iranian-backed Houthis continue to fire on U.S. Navy ships. Iran itself fired on the U.S. consulate in Iraq. Iran and Pakistan bombed each other. And then the Chinese are getting frisky with Taiwan. General Phil Breedlove's here, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. General, pull back the, the curtain for us for a minute. I feel as though that admiral, I think he's a Dutch admiral, wouldn't have said that if he wasn't trying to deliver a message. That wasn't just an off-the-cuff remark. No, it wasn't. Rob is the uh, chairman of the military committee. He leads the the military thinkers in the political headquarters. And to his right was Chris Cavoli, who is the commander of uh, NATO troops um, in, in Europe. And so th- these are serious words. And I think that uh, there's a lot here to talk about. Help us understand what that warning means. Does that mean that deterrence, that American-led peace through strength uh, has gone away and now the world's, the world's bad men see an opening? Well, I think that deterrence has lessened, and here's the way I would describe it. I do believe that Mr. Putin understands what a NATO nation and a NATO boundary is. But I think outside of NATO boundaries, Mr. Putin believes is fair game. I mean, we said over and over, our senior most leaders in the beginning of this war, that we would defend every inch of NATO. What is the message to non-NATO nations for Mr. Putin? So I believe that our conventional deterrence has declined outside of NATO states, but I still believe we have relatively strong deterrence inside NATO. So you, I understand why NATO is so important. And look, Russia is another nuclear power. And you can imagine if, if there's force on force and we have to defend NATO borders, then how combustible that would be. But you say deterrence is waned outside of NATO borders. Put Mr. Putin in a box for just a second. I think about the Ayatollahs in Iran. Think about North Korea. You think about the Chinese. The Iranians now have shot down one of our one of our drones, a, a Reaper that was over Iraq. These are all small things, but it feels to me as though the world is no longer scared of America. And I'm wondering how you restore that deterrence, which is a political thing, not a military thing, or starts politically. So I describe almost the same thing, just a, a little bit different way. People ask me all the time, we have a strong Chinese... Uh, uh, policy. We have uh, these policies about North Korea, uh, you know, and these are well understood. And I point out that no matter what we write, what we do is more important. You remember your mother used to say that to you. People don't care what you say. They're going to watch what they do. And here we are. I tell people every day that our Chinese policy is being written in Ukraine. Our North Korean policy is being written in Ukraine and our, our, our uh, Houthi policy and more importantly, Iranian policy is being written in Ukraine. And what the world is seeing is that the West is backing off in Ukraine. We rewarded bad behavior in 2008 in Georgia. We rewarded bad behavior in 2014 in Ukraine. 
And we're on the verge now of possibly rewarding bad behavior one more time in Ukraine. So once again, our policies are being written on the ground in Ukraine. General, uh, my mother was correct, and you are correct as well. Uh, it's sobering when you put it in, in that way. And as a man who sat there and, and looked at the war plans and uh, knows the players, uh, it's, a, it's something we need to pay attention to. General, it's good to have you back on the program. We appreciate the thoughts, sir. Thank you. And we invite you at home to be part of this conversation. Sign up for War Notes. That is our daily newsletter that comes out at 4 p.m. Gives you an early look at the show for free and our thoughts about the most important stories of the day and the storylines of the day. Go to warnotes.com and subscribe there. Also follow us on social media at Leland Vitter on Instagram and Twitter. Live pictures of the Trump rally conquered New Hampshire. Back in Washington, the attorney general says he wants a speedy trial in Trump's election interference case. What the president is going to say about that tonight and what the attorney general is really getting at when we come back. What we have to do is show by the acts that we take that we're following the law, that we're following the facts. The um, um, prosecutions that you're talking about were brought last year. Um, and the uh, special prosecutor has uh, said from the beginning uh, that he thinks uh, public interest requires a speedy uh, trial, which I agree with. Well, that is the notoriously stoic Attorney General Merrick Garland saying he can restore Republicans' faith in the Justice Department through a speedy trial of Donald Trump. Republicans might have a few things to say about that. Joining me now, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General under George W. Bush, Tom Dupree. And Tom, as you and I have been talking, there's two parts of this. The political part, which we're going to hear Donald Trump talk about on the stump tonight, and the legal part. What I'm wondering is, is that if you're the Attorney General and you don't have a political motivation, why wouldn't you say, in the, in the effort to make this appear non-political, we are going to wait until after the election to ensure that there's not even the appearance of political motivation here? Well, I think the attorney general may have misfired a bit here, Leland. From my perspective, he would have been better advised simply saying that this is in the hands of the courts and I'm going to turn this over to the special prosecutor and I'm not going to get involved and I'm not going to comment on it. Because as you point out, the elephant in the room here is political. If they don't progress this trial fast and get a conviction before the election, everything disappears if Trump were to be elected. The moment he takes office, he can dismiss all of these federal charges. That's what Merrick Garland knows is going to happen. He knows he's up against the clock here. If Trump wins the election, the world changes. And so for that reason, he and the special prosecutor are pushing for a speedy trial. I just think the attorney general have been better advised not to make that particular comment himself publicly. Yeah, what I can't figure out is he goes to such great pains always to say, we are independent, we're going to follow the law, this is all about you know, the law and the rules of the Justice Department, on and on and on, and then says the very things he says he's not going to say. I don't, I don't get it other than to say that it feels political, even to somebody who's not political as I am. It, it, it does. I mean, I, I totally get that. That's what his personal view is. But there's a difference between him having that view and him sharing that publicly with the nation. He should have steered clear. 
And look, I think the thing the attorney general needs to convey here is that they are going to treat this prosecution just as they would the prosecution of any other criminal defendant in the system. You don't do it on an expedited basis. You don't do it on a slow walking basis. You treat the former president to the extent you can as you would any other defendant. You got to be neutral and play it fair. And I don't think he did that in that interview. Does that matter in, in a sense, in the in a court of law, and for that matter, is this these kinds of comments things? We know President Trump's going to talk about it at his rally tonight. He does every time. Is it the kind of thing that that his lawyers can argue when they go to the Supreme Court about the, the immunity cases and other cases? You know, I'm sure they will put that in their briefs, kind of for atmospherics legally. I'm not sure that that necessarily will change the outcome. But I totally get why the president's lawyers would make those sorts of comments part and parcel of everything they submit. Their whole argument here, Leland, is that this is political. These are fake charges. This is all politically driven. And now they're going to be able to point to public comments by the attorney general that reinforce those themes and those arguments. Uh, it's it's kind of bewildering why he would make those uh, if there was another motivation, as you point out, uh, very different than sort of how he's he's tried to portray these things. Tom, it's good to see you. Thank you very much. Uh, back here in New Hampshire, we thank St. Anselm's College for the use of their beautiful campus. We'll spend the weekend out with the candidates on the trail and see you Monday. Here's Chris. everybody. I'm Chris Cuomo. Happy Friday. We are live. So what do you say? Let's get after it. Have you heard about this American Airlines flight attendant videotaping minors in the airplane restroom? A male, of course, now arrested. Authorities are investigating at least four other incidents. We have the inside story and a lawyer for the 14-year-old victim. Then the Innocence Project taking on a case is a big deal. Taking on the case of Scott Peterson is a titanic statement. The man once given the death penalty for killing his wife and unborn baby seemed like a no-brainer. So what could we be missing?